Welcome to the Horror Writers Podcast. Join Jay Thorne and Richard Brown as they discuss writing and publishing horror using strategies that work for all genres. that one episode where you said the wrong episode number the whole episode yeah the one you're never gonna let me forget it wasn't professional right? richard yeah. likes to uh remind me of all the mistakes i make all the time it's great yeah, it's good it's like, a sec- it- it's like a second wife nice i make at least three every podcast so don't worry about it <laughs> all right here we go hey everyone welcome to episode 17 of the horror writers podcast I'm Jay Thorne, along with co-host Richard Brown. Say hello, Richard. Hello, Richard. Yeah, we love that joke. We have a special guest with I'm us not today. A horror author. I am a horror author. <laughs> I think we all know who we are. We got a special guest with us today. We have Mr. Jim Kukrell. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. This is uh, really exciting to be part of uh, this uh, cool hangout. Now, why are you saying you're not a horror writer? I don't get that. I wrote four chapters of fiction. I told you this story, Jay. I wrote four chapters of fiction, and uh, I gave them to a friend of mine, not Jay, and I said, just let me know what you think, and his comment was, it's not horrible, man. <laughs> so uh, I'm, uh, I'm working on my fiction, but I've are got you, a long Are you seriously work, like writing more? Are you going to keep yeah, writing Yeah, I'm going to keep going on that plot theme that I have because I think it's a good idea. Um, and it's fun to write it, but who knows if it's gonna? I mean, it, like like you said, your first draft of something you wrote was just crap, right? I mean, so I'm gonna bust through it. You know, maybe if I can get twenty, thirty thousand words out, and then just see well, how that. Twenty, thirty thousand words. That's twenty, twenty or thirty thousand words. That's pretty long for an erotica book, though. Yeah, right. An erotica <laughs> about a Cleveland guy in a jogging suit. Uh. <laughs> He's got like a this band. Is my, Tony, my Tony Soprano gear. This is. <laughs> I love the zipper. The zipper is what yeah. it just makes it, man. The green zipper is it's perfect. Looks better if I zip it up. Here we go. <laughs> How's that? Look how cold is it in that studio? Freezing <laughs> in here. Turn up the heat. Oh, Jim, you and I uh, have known each other for a while now, and uh, we both reside in Cleveland, Ohio, but for. Um, can you give them a, just a quick introduction to who you are and what you do? Yeah, you know, I've been doing internet business stuff for about 19 years now. Um, recently, in the last five or so years, I've gotten into the whole publishing business. I had my first traditionally published book done by um, Wiley and Sons in 2010. And since that time, I've gotten out of the traditionally published business and uh, have since published uh, 10, 11 self-published books. And as an entrepreneur, as somebody who does internet stuff, I found the business of traditional publishing to move way too slow for me. And, and you know, there's a million reasons why I don't like it. I don't want to do the whole thing about that versus thing. But so what I do now is I focus on helping authors figure out how to market their books. Because, you know, you could write a book about uh, New York City architecture or you could write it about Hello Kitty or whatever. But the point is, is you're probably a subject matter expert who doesn't know anything about marketing. 
So you can write a book, and you got to figure out a ways to get it out there after that. And that truly is the, the hardest part, you know, the 50-50 writing and then marketing the book. So I focus on um, giving tools, tips, and training to people who want to learn how to market their books moving forward so they can have success either to build their credibility for their brand, their career, their business, or uh, and also to sell books and actually turn themselves into a full-time author, which is uh, what a lot of people want to do nowadays. How has that online marketing thing changed since you started? Like I, I kind of feel like a lot of creatives oh, that's a big have. Question. Well, I mean, like I think a lot of creatives <laughs> it's completely have. Completely um, changed. Yeah. Well, I know that. Duh, it's 19 years. But I'm, well, I'm talking about it's the perception of online marketing for creatives. Like I think at a time it was kind of seen as kind of icky, right? And yeah, it went through a lot of phases. I mean, you have the internet marketing people, right? And yeah. technically, those people have always been labeled as the scammers, the spammers, you know, trying to sell you crap that you don't need or, you know, things like that. And those people still exist. What has happened, though, in a long story short version is authenticity has taken over in terms of marketing. And that's because of the Internet and because of things like social media and YouTube. Let me give you a great example. Before YouTube was there, if you wanted to have a professionally uh, a video out there, you would spend thirty, forty thousand dollars for a professional video company to come in and make this really awesome brochure video for you, right? And that's what the expectation was from consumers before YouTube. Now you have authenticity has taken over in that place. And if you go out and spend forty thousand dollars on a video, first of all, you're a fool. Second of all, people will smell it as an advertisement ten million miles away. Right, the, the one tenth of a second into the first clip of the video, they're going to go add and tune out. Right, because they want people to be authentic. They want direct connection with people nowadays, and that's really the biggest shift I've seen in terms of marketing, and especially since Facebook and Twitter and social media is really taking over. Is that direct connection you can build with a fan, whether you produce music or books or anything you produce? that true fan you can build by connecting them with, the, with them directly by doing things like this that don't cost money. Just, you know, have the technologies here, that if you have the time, and you can talk directly to your fans, that's the biggest change. And I think more authors need to do more stuff like you guys are doing, and like I'm doing as well, to connect with their fans. That's the biggest thing. Is there a fear that in this YouTube age that standards are pretty low? I mean... People were watching this awful production, like, <laughs> you know, compared to the, like New York, like you know, the Park Avenue, New York, uh, you know, ad agencies. Is is there a lessening of the quality because of that? There is a lessening of the quality of the production. I don't believe there's a lessening in the quality of the content as long as you're providing helpful or entertaining or problem-solving or entertaining information, right? So I've said this forever. There are two reasons people use the internet. One, to have a problem solved, and two, to be entertained. Those are the only two reasons people use the Internet. If you relate that to publishing in books, nonfiction, problem solving, entertainment, fiction, right? So there are two reasons people buy books, to have a problem solved or to be entertained. Same thing. So you just, you know, the market has changed. You have to understand as an author why, what you're trying to do. You're trying to entertain people. You're trying to solve a problem. And uh, once you understand those things, you have a better chance of actually reaching your customers. And, and if you can use content like Hangouts and podcasts and eBooks and white papers and blog posts and 
anything you can create and directly get through to a potential reader, you're going to have a much better chance of engaging with that person and actually creating what what uh, what a true fan, which is somebody who will buy anything that you write, somebody who will watch every podcast you create, somebody who will drive three hours to come see you at a book signing, right? And trying to do that before the advent of social media and YouTube and the things like this and being able to connect with people, first of all, took 20 to 30 years to build a brand before all of this stuff. It took millions and millions of dollars to spend to reach uh, people all over, you know, all over the world or even in your local town. And now you could just go direct to these people if you just put the time and effort in to create any type of production. I think people appreciate it, even if the production quality is low. Good for us, right, Richard? Yeah. Well, then the, then the question I think a lot of people would have, you know, is where you ha you can only dedicate so much time to, to really the marketing side, you know, versus the writing side. So, you know, how do people know the difference between maybe kind of scams and things that they shouldn't follow and, 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 real, and good marketing device for what they're trying to sell? Well, you know, we, I talked about this the other day on our, on our podcast, the, the Sell More Book Show, and basically people have this enormous resource at their fingertips now with the Internet, right? And there's almost no excuse to be scammed by anything ever again <laughs> because now you can just go on to the Google and look for anything you want to look for, right? Um, when was the last time you or, or, or Jay ever bought anything without reading the reviews first on Amazon or anything else, right? It just doesn't exist, right? It, it, I mean, social proof is there, right? It exists for us to go out there and, and tap into it. And that's exactly what the modern uh, Internet user does. We've become very savvy as searchers, as consumers now, right? We don't buy a, a $2 widget off of Amazon unless we at least scan the reviews, right? If it has, doesn't have, or if it has all bad reviews, we're like, oh, well, that's crap, right? And we, we've become reliant on that, which is a good thing because we're able to use the power of the social sphere of the crowd of all over the world to help us determine whether or not this is a good deal or not. So there really is no excuse. If you can't take five minutes before you drop 1500 bucks on some marketing package for your book to go look in a forum or do a Google search and find out if it was worthwhile to people, then it's your own fault, really. It's kind of tough love to say to people, but really, don't, don't believe everything you read. Go out there, do a little, tiny, tiny little bit of research before you spend that money, and I think you'll be better off. Well, then how are how are how is Author Solutions? And I'm uh, sorry to throw that name at you again, Jim. I know you you love it when we throw that name in. You guys were dancing around it on the Somewhere Book Show uh, this week. But like, how how do people like? There's like thousands of people that are still buying those packages, those types of because of marketing this. materials. Because as a person who's sold everything from widgets to uh, wheel bearings to services to consulting, you name it, online for myself and my clients over the last 19 years, at the end of the day, human beings still want to get rich quick, right? They still want the instant easy button push, right? And when they find somebody who crafts that all into a really nice sales page and package and they offer everything in the world... It's just human nature to say, wow, they're going to just do it all for me. 
Um, and I hit a button, and then now I'm in this contract forever. And it's you get it's, that validation. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just psychology. You know, I talk a lot about this on the show, on our show. People buy things for psychological reasons, for status, right? You know, you buy things for all kinds of different reasons. This little sales trigger that goes off in your head and what's important to you is that sales trigger that makes you want to purchase, right? And those marketers are really good at tapping into the ones that we all have. And by the way, I've uh, bought a lot of those products, you know, over the years. I've spent, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on the get-rich-quick stuff because I've been sucked into it too, and I'm in the business, right? That's how good these guys are, right? They write such compelling copy, such compelling um, sales messages that when you read it, you're like, oh, my God, this is really going to be the thing that's going to explode my consulting business to the next level. All I got to do is click a button. And, and psychologically, human beings just go, okay, and they hit buy. And then they have buyer's remorse later. But So I don't blame anyone because I've done it. Everyone does it. But that's just the way our brains work. We all want to have something for nothing. Yeah, I get those emails like all the time. What is it, like the warrior form or something where it's mostly just like uh, it was, it's like a huge long page that you got to scroll down and all these like fancy like sales tactics. You can tell it's like, you know, they're trying to sell you some snake oil. Well, you know what's interesting about those long page sales letters, which you just described? There's a reason why you see so many of those. It's because they work. Yeah. They're the number one converting piece on the internet today and still are for the last 10 years. Because when you put it in that format, um, it just, the way it's built is it just, confer- you know, you put all the social proof on there, you put all that stuff in there. It, they work really, really well. Um, so that's why they use them. Well, but yeah, yeah, they've worked on uh, me before, so I, <laughs> so I know they work. Yeah, They work on everybody. And again, take two minutes and do some search online and see if you can find <laughs> If this is, you know, don't believe all the testimonials you read on the page sometimes, you know. Do you find, like, since you write a lot of books on marketing stuff, do you find it's a challenge to, uh, uh, like, if, if you write a book that, about how to how to do do this, this, and that to sell more books, and then your book doesn't sell very well, is that sort of like a, do yeah, you find so, that, you know, you know, what, you know what I'm getting at? Oh, absolutely. So mm-hmm. I'll answer that by this. Um, the... The genre of people, the, the, the amount of people that buy marketing books is like this big compared to romance and horror and author, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, and all of these different genres. So, yeah, so people don't buy a lot of my books. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm also not one of those guys who goes out and spends a ton of money promoting my books and a ton of time promoting my books because it's not my main business, right? My first book, uh, Attention, did, did relatively well and it still sells relatively well. But, um, a lot of those guys in the nonfiction space, uh, they they spend a lot of time on the road promoting their books, doing speaking gigs and getting bulk book purchases for speaking gigs and things like that. And that was never a game I wanted to play. But I understand your question is, you're writing books about marketing, you know, those books should be selling well. Well, I don't really well, write I think the people, the expectation is that people are going to think, okay, this guy's a marketing expert. Why is his book not selling well, but he's going to tell me how to make my book sell well? You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally get it. And, uh, you know, I've never had, I'm like Which any I don't other think author. that's really fair, but I think that's I the perception people are going to have. But I get it. I totally get it. But 
I've never, uh, I've never had a hit. I, you know, I mean, you could look at look at fiction authors and say the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many books did Conrath write before he got his hit, right? Before, how many books did Hugh Howie write before he got his hit? Um, I write good books, but I've never got the one that just hit at the right time to the right audience that just took off, right? And the reason, uh, and I understand that, and some people think that it's just, oh, you failed if you haven't done that. Sometimes it can take 20 books before you get there. Sometimes you might never, ever get there. And that's what I've been preaching for years, which is, you know, you it, it's you got to keep going. you got to keep going, and it may never happen, but you got to just keep writing and producing what you know is good quality stuff and putting it out there, and hopefully someday it becomes a huge hit. What was that John Locke book? Was it John Locke who wrote the How to Sell yeah. a Million? Yeah, that, I mean, that... You can, you can tell it must be difficult too, because the ones that are going to sell the best are the ones that are always selling the snake oil, you know. Yeah, he bought that, like uh, like a bunch of reviews and, and gifted, you know, two hundred fifty thousand of the books away, you know, and paid for the books and so, whatever, you know. I've been in a unique position because I've been an internet marketing business guy for a long time, but I've never sold one of those get rich quick products ever, right? I've never. Um, been associated with those types of guys. I'm, I know those people, but I never would consider them people that I'd go have dinner with or anything. The, what yeah. I'm trying to get at is... Because you know they'd stick you with a check, probably. <laughs> no, well, they're rich. They could, <laughs> I'm We're not. going to the bathroom. We'll be right back. I'm just a schlub from Cleveland. These guys are like, you know, buying Porsches and going crazy with Maui beach houses. But um, <clears throat> I, I had an opportunity to be one of those guys years and years ago, right? Which is sell stuff that I didn't really truly believe that could help people just to make a buck. But it's not me, and I would never do that. And that's why I created Author Marketing Club. Um, that's also why I have a reputation in the industry as somebody who would never do that. And when I do promote something, um, it comes with a good credibility level. And well, it's also you're, why I'm... You're also, uh, you're also doing things differently. Like in, in, a, in a time where sort of an, an online platform is really key to a lot of the snake oil salesmen. You you just did a, a, a live person event with Author Marketing Live. So yeah. maybe you, I mean what's the difference between like what you're what you're doing there and how is that authentic? Well, I I I think it all comes down to this, James, is you have to have a core mission of authentically wanting to help people. Right? Um my mother was a school teacher. Um, and I, daddy was a police officer. <laughs> my dad was, a, no, my dad was an electrician at GM. So I came from a blue, cl- uh, blue collar family, but authentically, I really do love teaching and helping people. Um, there's a reason why I still do every podcast. Everyone asks me to do why I do five of these a week from people who don't. Oh, I thought it. we were special. Man. No, I mean, I do them all because when I first started, I was asking people, to you know, help me out, promote my stuff. So I do it. So, but my my core mission, everything I create, whether it's the club or the institute or the courses, is really truly to help people. At the end of the day, I'm a businessman. Yeah, I I use the things I create to help create a business for myself so that I can feed my family. Yes, but not at the expense that I'm going to create something that's crap or charge too much for it that I think people can't afford so that I could just have a ton of cash. Because money means absolutely nothing to me. 
in regards of where I'm at in my life. It's all I need to just keep my lifestyle going. I can wear my jogging suit to my office every day, right? Uh, no socks and no pants, and and you know. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Hopefully his webcam doesn't fall down. No, you're lucky. So um, no, I do have pants on here. Um, so it's more about authentic, just really having a mission of wanting to help people. And it sounds so BS corny to say that, but it really is how I formulate everything I do nowadays, and uh, it pays off over. Is it frustrating when people? Like try to label you as one of the other guys. I've seen on I think it was Kindle forums or sometime uh, sometime where somebody was kind of going on like beating on you, thinking you were one of those other guys, and you had to try to defend yourself as as to being a legitimate, you know, not not a snake oil salesman. Yeah, it's real tough. Uh, like I said, I got lumped in with a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff. You know, I understand it though, and this is kind of what I tried to explain on that forum because uh, I always take the high road because I understand it because. People just hate marketing. Well, right? they have their guard up, too. I mean, they're expecting yeah. somebody's trying to sell them something. Yeah, I mean, people just hate marketing. They're like, some people just hate the fact that anyone has the audacity to ever ask you to buy anything. They just hate that. And um, there's a difference between somebody providing a good product or service or book or music for an expected fair price as opposed to somebody trying to sell you crap that you don't need mislabeled or false or whatever. And and people see that, a lot of that first, and then they try to lump everyone together. So I get why people do that, but it's not me. And I, I'm fine. What is this author solutions you guys were talking about? I never, I've oh. heard of it, but I didn't, I don't, I haven't really looked into it. James? Yeah, James right, Jim, Jim wants to stay out of this. It's, it's basically a... Just give me the the quick just. I mean, the quick thing is, it's like a it's a service that will uh, sort of handle a lot of the nuts and bolts publishing aspect for you, but it 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 comes at a pretty high price. It's like the old uh, was it Publish America kind of thing? Is it actually a publisher or is it just a marketer thing? As a matter of fact, I think their actual old name was Publish America. I think. Mm -hmm. So they changed their name to try to like. Yeah, they themselves did uh, uh, was that the oil company that did that, you know, or that bank that did that? Um, yeah. yeah, it was actually yeah. So they allegedly they they have you know I mean that's not allegedly I mean they, lots of people have been complaining about getting signed up with contracts with them they can never get out of and um, and a lot of stuff like that. You can find tons of stuff on that online. I get probably three to five emails a month from people who say they signed up with similar things like that and they. Mm-hmm. Are looking for help, and I don't have any help for them because I'm not a lawyer. I mean, yeah. I say hire a lawyer and see if you can get your rights back. You know, that's I mean that's a topic for for probably another show. Where I mean, I have no problem with like traditionally publishing. I think there's 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 benefits to that, and there's benefits to self-publishing. But there's a lot of these publishers now that aren't real publishers that are just coming around to try to get self-publishers to sign with them, so they can just sort of take a cut. They don't really provide anything for the author. Hey, when does the popcorn go on, by the way? <laughs> yeah, we had uh, Sean, Sean and Dave from Self-Publishing Podcast on last time, and they were asking about that. Yeah, I wasn't ready for it. Trying to crank that thing up. <laughs> he never shares, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's, a, uh, there's certainly a divide in well, – not a, maybe divide's not the right word, but there's certainly a difference in how – authors of nonfiction market versus authors of 
fiction. Can you can you speak to that difference in, in sort of from your experience? Well, yeah, I mean, I mentioned it already. The biggest difference is nonfiction. You're solving a problem. Fiction, you're enter- entertaining. Mm-hmm. So, fiction, in my opinion, is a hundred percent more difficult to market than it is nonfiction. And uh, a good example is this: um, Google is the world's biggest problem solver. Right? You go to Google to have a problem solved. Right? You type in, how do I find this place or what do I, the answer to this is. Right? So it's already ingrained in our brains when we're looking for a solution to a problem, we go to Google right? and we show, or some other search engine. Bing. We're going to, if we go to YouTube, we're nor, mostly looking for entertainment. Right? Um, so, I mean, but how do you take a story that nobody knows anything about and turn it into something that people are looking for, right? So book discoverability is really one of the biggest issues that we all have as authors moving forward. It's one of the this is the reason why BookBub is so powerful because they spent millions of dollars to build that list and create this big book discoverability of curated books and now authors pay to be in it and it's a great system. But you would love to see more of those, but you need to have more people spend the money to get those readers in there and do the same type of thing. But marketing fiction books to me is more about doing things like this and being able to share your personality with a potential reader and letting them become part of, of who you are. Um, I personally, I'm a huge uh, James Clavell fan, you know, the whole Shogun series of books, right? I mean, it's my favorite books of all time. Shogun and Taipan and Gaijin and all those books, those are my favorite books. But if he was alive, wouldn't it be great if I could go on his blog and watch videos of him talking about how he wrote those books or, um, or you know, even follow him on Twitter or, you know, things like that. I mean, it just would be a really great way for me to be part of his world. And I personally think that um, that's what fiction readers would really love to have. If you're a fan of Jay's books... You know, I'd love to be able to interact with him even more and learn more about what he's doing. And then, so, but if you're looking for, if I have an answer for, is there a, a get rich, quick, instant button for fiction authors? I think it's much harder than it really seems. Why isn't Amazon going after BookBub? I mean, that seems Amazon seems like they would be in a much better position than the guys in Massachusetts uh, to do that. You're right, because Amazon could in, instantly. Institute an advertising system, which, by the way, uh, we've heard, we've talked about before on the show, which we think is going to be coming. But they could absolutely create a book bub overnight. I, I personally, I think that um, this whole book thing for Amazon is is like 0.001 percent of the money they make, and I think it's a great way to uh, bring attention to the brand. But I don't think it's anywhere near where they make most of their money. And therefore, I think that they, it's a kind of a carrot and a stick thing. They spend a lot of time talking about it and improving it and bringing authors into it because that was their roots, right? Remember when Amazon was just books? I do. Um, but um, so, so I don't think they really truly care about it financially. I think that it, it, they're willing to lose money on it just to keep the rest of the stuff going. I could well, be I wrong. They do, have, they do have some kind of special ad thing that they were running it was kind of a secret program right that's what i was talking about yeah because i've had other authors that if they've, they've told me that they got contacted by amazon to be a part of it even though they're not supposed to say anything well and so it is out there now 
I don't know if it's really BookBub like, but it's something. No, from what we've heard from blog posts and stuff, it's more about buying space, advertising space yeah. on on their sites, you know, um, which I thought was silly because if I wrote a horror book and I wanted to be show up on your page, right? I mean, I'd be mad if I was you, right? Mm-hmm. I think it would make more sense after the purchase. So after they buy your book, a thank you page that comes up and says, "Hey, uh, now here are three other horror authors who who bought sponsored spots of books that you might like." I think that makes way more sense to me, and you might like these, and I think that would actually work a thousand times better. But uh, I don't think that they want to do a book bub, and I, I I want somebody else to create a book bub competitor. But the problem is, is is you literally going to need at minimum, in my opinion, five hundred to a million dollars to end uh, time to spend to build those readers into a list. And they spent that money. Well, Jason over at BookSense is, uh, he's having some success. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's trying to compete directly with BookBub. And in fact, I've heard him say that, you know, they sort of have a different, a different slice of the pie and, yeah. and they seem to be doing okay with it. So maybe there's some room beneath BookBub for a few like more specialized Type of yeah, there operations. is. There's totally room for it. You just got to build the reader list, right? And that takes time and money. Plain up. So the, no other way around it. Time and money to build the reader list. That's all. I mean, and, and so anyone who's got a list of really engaged readers, right? Like you couldn't go out and buy a spam list of people, mm-hmm. right? You have to physically build it from the ground up with the promise of what we're going to give you is. Like for example, if you wanted to create the horror book bub, right? You would have to say, look, just from be day me and Jay's one, books. Right. Just you and Jay's books, right? <laughs> you know, we're gonna spend the money and the time to build this reader. You know, uh, was it uh, Howie who said whoever has the biggest email list is gonna win, right? Mm-hmm. Authors, right? I mean whatever the quote was. But it's true. I've been saying that for for almost twenty years now. Whoever's got the biggest email list is going to win. You know, we talked about this on the, the Sell More Book Show the other day. Somebody had a blog post that said the number one way that they were selling more books was through their email list, as opposed to social media, Amazon, anything else. It was through the email. And um, I have an AWeber account with over 100 different email lists in it. I just created two new ones today for this event I'm putting on. And the email list is still by far the number one way that I'm able to communicate with potential customers moving forward, people that I can get onto a list. So if you're not doing it yet, you really got to get on it because um, it's going to be a big, big thing for you moving forward. It's sort of a chicken, isn't it, chicken-egg kind of thing where yeah. it's, it's difficult for a new author to build. You, you really have to sell books before you're going to be able to build a list. I mean, you could, you should start a list right right at the beginning, but... I know for me, I went for a few years, I had a list, and I didn't, wasn't selling a whole lot, so my list didn't grow. Finally, I wrote a series that was selling that people wanted to know when the next, so then they would, they would sign up. Because yes. just having a 1,000 people on there who don't really buy is kind of useless. Yeah, exactly. And again, much tougher for fiction. I've yeah. never managed a fiction list before. I can't imagine you know, what you've got to do to really keep people engaged on a list. You, know, um, you have... If you have a list and you don't actively talk to people, it becomes a cold list, right? So if you don't send somebody an email for six months and all of a sudden they get an email from you, hey, my new book's out. You're like, who are you? I don't even know you. Why are you spamming me? No, you're on my list. I'm not spamming you. Um, 
So there's a balance between building that list up, communicating with people consistently, and I like to go with the whole giving value consistently over and over and over again, right? You should, when, when you're writing content to help market yourself, you should, it should be a three-to-one method. It should be three times of what I'm giving to you, free chapters, free information, free help, free entertainment, and then one time, here's what I have to offer, which is a book or whatever it is. That formula works. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I've figured out. I don't think anyone's figured out the, the magic bullet. And as you said, there isn't sort of a quick fix on building an email list. You, you kind of have to do it one reader at a time. But I do know what doesn't work, and that is constant emails selling. <laughs> you can't no. like you can't send to your list you know three times a month with buy this, buy this, buy this. That just doesn't work. No, no. I uh, I used to. I've kind of moved away from doing the the offering free stuff to sign up stuff because I I got a lot of people on there who didn't who weren't really interested in in my books. They just wanted free stuff. So what I do now is, is I get plenty of people signed up just because they want to know when the next book's coming out. So I'll try to offer those people just to keep them interested, free paperback books, or I'll run contests and things like that, specifically to my list. But I don't try to drive people to sign up to get free stuff anymore because I got a lot of, I know people were doing free Kindles if you sign up for my list and maybe you'll win. And people will just sign up just to try to win. And then they end up, you end up with a list that doesn't, you know, you might have 2,000 people on there, but only... You know, ten percent of them even open. Yeah, you just get the freebie people, right? That's why, and and they never buy from you. Right? Yeah. You know, again, for fiction, if I if I have an author that I really like, I want to learn about them. I want to learn where you bought that hat. I want to learn. <laughs> you I'm do? Oh, I totally honest. I want to know. Uh, you know what? I want to know about the pictures in the background. Why you have those? Where'd you get them? I want to know. Can you play that keyboard? Oh um, yeah, I don't know why, how often you make popcorn. You know, I I want to be part <laughs> of. This kind of goes back into that whole authenticity thing. You know, um, if I'm a fan, these are the things I want to be part of. You know, there there used to be this disconnect between celebrity and the fans, right? And now it's kind of like no, it's right here now. Now it's uh, the ability to really get in the face through Twitter and YouTube and Instagram and and hangouts and stuff like that. And yes, it's going to take time to build your fans that way. But if I was a fiction author, I might be doing a, a weekly, hey, come talk to me session, you know, and let's just hit chat on a Google Hangout and talk, you know. Um, let's, uh, I, always, I always thought it would be great to follow a, a Facebook or a Twitter account of a character from one of my favorite books, like, uh, like uh, Anjan from Shogun. Wouldn't it be great to follow that Twitter character, uh, you know, and them just tweeting out what's going on in their day, right? You know, today, uh, today, uh, Toranaga came and, you know, and gave me my own fiefdom, you know, or whatever, you know. So something like that I think would be really fun to do if I was a fiction author. And I actually suggested that to Johnny a long time ago and Sean, and, and you know, their answer was, you know, it's too much work. Right, mm -hmm. they're too busy doing two million writing books and doing too many other things, and that kind of comes back to what you were saying before, Richard, which is, how do you spend enough time writing and how do you spend enough time marketing? And personally, I think that it's fifty-fifty. Right, I think you got to do fifty-fifty until you just have the Hugh Howie everything you write, you know, just gets flown out the door now because you have a brand. 
I think. And it'll vary for different people. Well, I sort of have a, a love-hate relationship with social media because I think yeah. at its core and where it began, what you just described was exactly the case. Yeah. But with the Facebook going to, you know, boosted posts and, and they're all going this way, Twitter and Pinterest and Instagram, where you're going to have to pay to get to yeah. get that content in front of people's faces. Like, I, yeah, and they already, they already liked your page. They already want your content and now they're forcing you to pay just for to have them see it. Right. Well, I wrote about that in, in my latest book, which was Go Direct. And you're exactly right. You know, um, you're, you're a band and you've built up 30,000 followers of people who want to hit your up, get your updates and see when you post something. But Facebook's like, no, we're only going to show it to 1% of the people. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you want to get in front of them, you can boost the post and then maybe reach 20 to 30% of them, right? So, um, which is why I'm a big fan of, of the go direct method, which I think email is a big part of that, right? Mm -hmm. Doing whatever you can to get people in that e email list, um, selling your books directly off your website. You know, I've said this for the longest time. I love Amazon. Amazon's done a lot for the self-publishing, everything for the self-publishing industry, right? However, Amazon, last time I checked, is not sharing their customer data with you and me. So if somebody buys one of your books, they don't send us, oh, hey, here's who bought it. Here's their email address. Here you go. Take it. They don't give you that, right? Mm -hmm. And as a businessman, that's bad business for me because it's easier to sell something to a customer that's already bought something, right, from me as opposed to trying to find a new customer all the time. So I'd rather have a 1,000 people on my email list who've already bought something from me as opposed to never know who bought whatever from me, right? Because I can remarket to those people constantly and build relationships and create true fans from those people if I do my job right. So um, Amazon, I wish they'd just change it so that they just give you the email address of everyone who ever bought a book from Well, you know, they, they won't do that because they know then that you'll just go direct and that you won't of get them Of course not, anymore. because they spent a lot of money to acquire that customer. Right. So from and, their from the, from our perspective, it's like yeah, we want that information. But from their perspective, they're like, no, we don't want to give that to you because then you don't need us anymore, right? right if they so keep giving us all their information. Well, then we can just go direct, and then we don't need to sell through them anymore. Exactly, because they're a middleman. Yeah. Um, they're they're the, the classic definition of a middleman. They provide a valuable service that connects your customers with the artist. Okay. A gatekeeper is different. A gatekeeper is somebody who gets in the middle that doesn't provide really any value. The government. Um, okay, you're going to go there? Okay. <laughs> so well, You just described it. Yeah, I mean, well, there you go. You could interpret it that way. But, um, yeah, that's essentially what a definition of a middleman and a gatekeeper is to me when I wrote in my book. And that's why I do believe that Go Direct is the future. You know, I, I absolutely... The, the classic example I give in my book for authors is this. J.K. Rowling never gave up the rights to her ebooks, the publishers, right? And they were never released, right? So when she went to go sell the digital copies of her books to her, she built a website and said, now, nah, if you want to come get it, you've got to come to me. And you've got to give me your email address and register at pottermore.com. I think that's it. And... I'm going to have the customer now and I'm not going to give a cut, right? And you're going to and so she built a 
millions and millions of people onto an email list just from that one tactic. Now, of course, she already had a platform. She built it through traditional publishing, and that's why it worked reverse like that. But think about the power of that now. Really think about the power of that now, because now with a click of a button, she can go, I just released a new Harry Potter book that I wrote on the toilet. Right? She could write ten thousand she could write ten thousand words on the toilet on her iPad and log into her email program and hit send and go, Hey, uh, you guys can all grab it for ninety nine cents to two million people. And make literally what's two million times ninety nine? Two million dollars literally make two million dollars by clicking a button and sending her book out directly to people. Now that is power. And that's how she's gonna turn, you know, billion dollars into three billion dollars, right? And and that just shows the power of going direct. Why you got to build your own fan base? Hmm. Now, in in building your own fan base, uh, in, in social media side, a mailing list aside, uh, blogs and podcasts. I, you know, podcasts are kind of the new blogs right now, and and everyone's kind of getting a podcast going, which is great. But it's also forcing some some different takes. So. The Sell More Book Show kind of has a different approach. Um, I wonder if you could sort of talk about the little niche you've carved out with your show. So podcasts are great, by the way. And they are the reason I believe that podcasts are exploding is because it's become easier to listen to them. It used to be you just have to listen to it through a web browser, right? But with the addition of smartphones and now particularly Bluetooth into smart cars, Yes. right, now... Uh, James, uh, you've, you, you've heard me say this before. You've watched Willy Wonka uh, before, right? When they're, when they're in the TV room and the magic dust, right? Magic comes dust, over their yeah. head, The candy bar gets traveling. That, that's the magic dust. And, mm -hmm. and it's, that magic dust is now available because now when I buy or when I listen to a podcast, it goes right into this little device that I'm carrying around 24 hours a day on my phone, my tablet. And I take it with me in my car, and it automatically syncs to my stereo system, and I can now listen to this podcast while I'm driving or I listen to it while I'm on the bus. So that's the magic dust. It's been instantly being able to deliver this type of content into your phone and, and let you consume it easy because that's the key. Uh, the reason they work so well is because, boy, I mean, the personality that you can come across and build with voice and audio, uh, video and, and audio it's just a thousand times better than text. I mean, come on. People don't really read anymore. This has been true for 15 years. <laughs> right? I mean, Steve Krug wrote that in Don't Make Me Think, my favorite book of all time in the nonfiction side. People don't read. They scan. That was 15 years ago. You know what it is now? People, people give you about a .17 seconds, which is the exact amount of time it is to read a tweet. 140 characters, right? That's the attention span that people will give you now, right? So, so when you put your personality into something and people have the easy opportunity to listen and participate in it, that's when you build a much better engaged fan base of people who are actually going to care about you, right? And, and it's, it's going to take time. We're on show 31 of our Sell More Book show, but the, the interact... I'll I, I told this to a client the other day. I said, if you spend write 31 blog posts as opposed to doing 31 podcasts, your customers, it's going to do a million times better for you than the podcast area because you're going to have people who are really going to want to engage with you and be part of you and understand you better as opposed to just somebody who scanned your blog post and walked away. 
because that's a, that's the way it works. Hmm. Yeah, I rarely, I rarely, I never really got got into the blogging, and I rarely ever read anyone right. else's blog. Right. But Who's I do to listen time? to your show. I listen to a lot of different podcasts. Who's got so. time, right? I mean, it's just, it's just to me, it's like the Matrix, right? Remember the Matrix? You see the shh, all the, the letters coming down, right? When I go log on now and I go to any website, this is all I see. Blah, 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 blah. Headline, bullet point, blah, 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 blah. And, and what my brain does and what everybody else's brain does they don't want to admit it, but think about it next time you're going to a web page and you're looking at something. You jump, scan, jump, headline, jump, bullet point. Oh, buy button. Is that is that what I needed? Oh, that's not what I needed? Oh, click back. Wash, rinse, repeat over and over and over again. Podcast, totally different. You're getting somebody to sit down and actually put your voice into their head. <laughs> and whether or not they're paying attention while they're multitasking, while they're driving or they're working or whatever, your voice is going right into your into their head. And that's uh, always going to be more engaging than somebody just ignoring the text on a page. Especially when you have a really nice voice. Yes, if you drop it low. You can drop it really low and get in people's ears. And do we have any jazz, really get their bass going. <laughs> You want to do a little jazz? Do we have any jazz yeah, we can play? I know, I know Kukrul does. You're the guitar player, right? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I, I know Jim's Jay. got some jazz. <laughs> put on some hey, tonight we're doing a little smooth jazz. <laughs> I love that those guys have that radio voice, you know? Yeah, like, you, you have to talk what? like this. But, like, I, I will push back a little bit on, on the, the blog thing, and, and here's why. Here's one instance. Like, if I find a podcast... That's like an hour or or longer or even like forty five minutes. Hey, that's our podcast. Yeah, and if there's a transcription, I will find it much more efficient to to skim through the the that the transcript than I would listen to the whole show. You're wrong. You're wrong. Wrong. Tell him he's wrong, Jim. Um, no, you're right. <laughs> How can there I be wrong? It's what, what I do. What are you telling no. me? I'm wrong. That's what I do. No. The, the people want to be entertained. You can't be entertained by a transcript. The people. The point is, people are going to consume the content how they want to consume it, and that's what a lot of people still don't get. There you go, Jim. Make it available in every option and let them choose. Mm-hmm. I told Jay he was doing just audio, and I said we need to have video because we're great-looking men, and there's going to be people who <laughs> want to see our faces, and they can commute. Actually, hearing somebody. It's different, you know, when you have a conversation with somebody on the phone versus when you talk to them face-to-face, right? And I think having that video, you know, adds another layer that if people want that, it's, it's a more personal thing. Yeah, personally, I don't like watching the video ones, right? Because, I don't know, I just, they put them on the side of my screen, I just listen to them, right? Well, you, yeah, and you guys only do audio on some more book shows. Yeah, right? and we thought about doing the video version of it as well, and we might someday try it, but... Um, Personally, the reason we started that show in the format we did was there was a hole in the space, right? Just like you started the Horror Writers Podcast, there was a there was nothing that existed in the space, right? You came out and... There was and nothing as horrifying as this show. Nothing as horrifying. So many metaphors and puns we can do. But um, we decided to make the show a fast, quick, fun show for that exact reason, because there was no show in the space that was really doing that. And that's just a marketing lesson. You you tap into the hole in the space where people aren't hitting, 
and you give it a shot. And so far, people like the format. Yeah, it's a very different format. Like I like, yeah. You know, I can listen to your show, and you have it very laid out. Like, okay, we know what we're going to get. We got the question and answers. We got the the topics of the week kind of thing. And then you know, you go watch the self publishing podcast, and it's much more free flow, and it's more you know funny and stuff like that. And it's just a different kind of experience. Totally different experience, and um, you know, it's, it depends on what people are looking for and what you want to do. For someone considering starting their own podcast. Um, it doesn't have to be so formatted and perfect when you first start it. I don't. I didn't watch your guys' first episode, but our first episode sucked. <laughs> I mean, it was like the worst show ever, and it's gonna suck. Your first show always gonna suck, right? And you get better over time, and it may not be the right format, and it may not work the first time. But that's true with writing a book. That's yeah. true with book marketing. It's true with everything that you do. It's true in life, right? I mean, it's true asking a girl out. It's it's true. With, it's First true time in, in the bed. Yeah, it's everything that you I do. I've so, no idea what I'm doing, but I'm just going to wing it. Yeah, I mean, but if you can't... You Was know, I good? If you can't get back up and, and, uh, and try again, then you're, you know, you just, you're never going to get anywhere. And you've got to start somewhere, right? I mean, yeah. Richard makes fun of me game. for saying I've got to get in the game, but like, isn't that <laughs> what you've got to do? Like, it's not going to be perfect, and you're going to make mistakes, but you've got to get into the game and get off the sideline. Yeah, and it's so cliche to say. And the problem is, is here's the reality, right? So if a 1,000 people listen to this podcast, uh, less than 5% or 10% of the people will actually take this message and do something. Because it's just there's a reality of people who are just okay with where they are, right? They're, they, they, they're not happy that their books aren't selling really well, but they're okay with it, right? And which and then there's going to be that people who are like, this is not good. This is not acceptable. I want to reach this level. I want to get here. And they're going to apply themselves. And it's just, again, human nature, right? If you are hired to be okay with that, then you're probably not going to really get off your butt and stop watching Survivor and go out and create a podcast instead, right? Or Did stop you watch playing. it last night? No, I don't watch <laughs> it. It's still on? Was I... It's still on, yeah. Okay, okay. I wasn't been on for like thirty years. It's like real world. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't so, watch that. I don't know if people people aren't gonna they're either gonna do it or they're not. There's two good things about it. there's there's it's good for people like us who are leading, right? It's good because we don't have as much competition. If everybody really got off their butt and led and created content and tried to dominate and not even dominate, just tried to apply themselves and make things happen. It wouldn't be good for us because we get to stay up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and it's bad for the people who don't do it because they never really fully realize the how successful they could possibly be. But again, they're probably okay with that, and I'm okay with that, right? I used to be on this mission, this righteous mission, where I wanted to just convert everyone to be an entrepreneur and everyone to be successful, and I would yeah, I get so angry with people I'd meet who had talent who uh, weren't applying themselves, who I was like, man, if I had that guy's talent, I would be in Hollywood. I'd be a, a film actor. I'd be the next Jim Carrey, right? I know, I know like a guy who's funnier than Jim Carrey, right? You meet him in person. Every time I see him, I talk to him, I pee myself, right? He's that funny, just naturally funny. He has absolutely zero interest in being the next Jim Carrey, right? 
Zero interest. He's no interest in entertaining. He just wants to be himself. I know another guy who could be writing the funniest scripts and movies on the face of the planet. Has zero interest. Wants to just work at his ad agency job and live his life and make a decent living. So how bad do you want it, I guess, is the fine print there. It was like you were saying. I mean, you need those people in some way. You know, if people don't want to step up and do stuff, you know, it just makes it a little easier for everybody else. Yeah, the world needs like what was that that quote from Office Space? You know, like what would you do if you had a million dollars? And he's like, well, if everybody had a million dollars, there'd be nobody to clean shit up off the floor. Yeah. You got to have janitors. So it's like people say oh, everybody's got to go to college, but if everybody goes to college and gets an engineering degree, then who's going to be a janitor? I always put it on the pain <laughs> level text, right? So um, this is the best way I can relate to people when I talk to them. I go, what's your pain level? Because when you go to the doctor and they ask you what's your pain level, is it a one or a ten? And um, for me, compared to what, yeah, yeah, for me, having a job and having to report to somebody else and sitting in a cubicle with full sucking fluorescent lights above me is a pain level ten, because I've done it, and literally I I would die. I I couldn't do it, which is why when I decided to my own business, I worked my ass off so I could get out of that position to get to. point where I'm not at the pain level anymore. Um, so if your pain level is at a one and you don't really care and you're happy with where you are, you're not going to really have the motivation to go out there and, and do these things. So you know, decide where your pain level is. And, and it's sad when you see people who have such a high pain level but never do anything about it. Yeah, um, yeah it's, all, it's also sad, too, when there are people who, who want and desire. Like you talked about people that don't want to don't have that desire and that's fine good for them they're happy but people yeah. who have the desire and and won't do anything about it or or kind of fall into a victim you know they kind of play a victim and that's that's hard for me to manage especially when it, when there are people who are my friends that it's do just that. it's just being safe too like i mean if you have a dream i, I think you should go for it and mm-hmm. but people will tell oh you know you need to get the nine to five job you know to, well yeah. we've been taught since birth right that we need to go to school get the job you hate, have the boss you don't like, be in a relationship that does this, and we've kind of been matrixed into this whole dream of here's how your life should work, right? However, what I always say is I want you to go and look around at the people who you see in your life who are always happy, right? And those are the people who have literally broken free from that model and done whatever they wanted. They didn't go along the constraints of this system that was built for them. And they said, I'm going to go start my own business, and this is the best thing I ever did, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to whatever. If you can break out of that mindset of this is the way your life has to go, and you have to be moderately successful, and you have to be unhappy, and this is kind of like a whole psychological thing, you know, um, you know, take some Zoloft, I guess. Uh, if you can break out of that, you're going to, be in a much better space. And the good, here's the great news about the whole piece of that. There's never been a greater time in the history of the world to build a brand, to get notice, to sell products, services, teach what you know, write books, create content, with zero money, an internet connection and a computer, and a, a little bit of drive. So the excuses are still there because there's a million reasons. Fear, right? Fear of success, fear of failure, of what your family's going to say, 
Um, and and you, maybe you're just lazy, right? Maybe you're just like, I like playing video games all the time. I don't really want to be successful, right? That's the big rub on a lot of millennials now. They're like, ah, you know, the world's going to end soon, so, you know, why should I really apply myself, you know? So there's a million reasons why people don't want to do it, and if you try to force somebody into it, it's not going to happen. People have to come to their own conclusion. But I write books that try to convince people into that, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I think people you... often, they'll, they'll, you know, they put 50% in and they just, they're not willing to put that other 50% in just because, like you said, maybe they're scared, they're going to fail, or they, they need that secure, they feel like they need to be secure. And like I see all these bands, you know, the a group, you know, Jay's done a lot of music before and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll play like the local club or something and they'll, practice every now and then and and they just don't they're surprised as to why they never go anywhere and i i always felt like you really got to treat it you know very seriously you gotta you gotta go on the road you gotta live out of a van if you have to but that's what you need to do and if you really want to make a you can't just do this you know play the play the same club over and over again kind of kind of thing never been easier right i wrote yeah. about uh Patton oswalt a uh, uh, comedian right i wrote about him in my book Go direct, and basically he said the exact same thing, Richard, which was, uh, I got my ass in a dirty van and drove around the country and stayed in shitty motels and built a fan base over years and years and ate crappy food at the bar for years and years and years, and I busted my butt to make it happen. And um, now it's even easier because now I can take that same information and put it on YouTube and put it on a blog and make short movies and, and things that I can reach people all over the world. So the excuse of uh, that it was hard to do, it's due, but doesn't cost a lot of money now because you have the ability to reach people all over the world. Um, you, the technology is there. The costs are extremely low, right? It's, it's really come down to effort. Um, sitting in front of a camera and going, you know what? I, I'm a pretty talented uh, ukulele player. I'm going to sit down and make 20 videos of pop songs and cover them on ukulele. And all of a sudden now I'm... No, I'm serious. There's, Wait, let me write a, that down. Hold on. Yeah. That's, Jay, that's Jay's next project. <laughs> so, you know, but this is how stars are being born nowadays. Ryan Lewis and Macklemore, right? They did not have a label, right? They became uh, Grammy-winning artists that sold millions of records without an agent, without a label, by building a fan base and releasing music online and creating videos and doing those things without ever going through any of the traditional methods. So um, if you have talent, you just got to have the drive to combine with that and use the tools available to you today. And you can have a much greater chance of being successful as opposed to how it was, you know, 100 years ago. Well, you're, you're a really ambitious guy, and you've got a lot of drive yourself. Uh, I wonder if you could maybe talk a little bit about uh, where our Author Marketing Club is headed in just a general sense. So Author Marketing Institute is now the new brand for Author okay. Marketing. I wasn't sure if I could mention that yet or not. Changing the, the name? Well, no, we're not changing the name. The club's still going to be there. What we're doing is adding pieces. So at the top, if you think of a, a standard flow chart, we have Author Marketing Institute at the top. And underneath the Author Marketing Institute now, we have the Author Marketing Club. We have Author Marketing Live, our events. We are just about ready to launch the Author Marketing Academy, which is going to be courses for authors. And we have a new podcast and all kinds of content. So at the end of the day, all we're doing is adding some new content in different brands across the board. 
with still the, the mission of advancing the practice of author marketing for people, just trying to help people across the board figure out how to get this stuff done because you guys know there's new authors coming on board every single day, right? And, they, and they're all coming to the spot where they're like, all right, now what? I figured out how to get it uploaded. What the hell do I do now? And they all go to the Google and start trying to figure <laughs> out what to do, and we want to be there to help them move forward. Whether it's free or paid, we want to be there. That's our sponsor for uh, this podcast. Is Google. There you go. The, yeah. the Google. The Google. <laughs> Send us a check. I know you just had the, the author marketing live a few months ago. Uh, yeah. Are you planning on doing more of those? And, and will any of them be down in Texas where I can go? You know, um, the, the next one we're doing, I haven't announced it yet, is going to be a virtual event in January. So um, th that's going to be a virtual one. We got about 15 or 16 speakers right now, and it just means you log in from your house or your Starbucks and watch the sessions, right? Um, and then cool. we're going to do another one in person back in Cleveland in September again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm from Cleveland, and you know, it's a, it's a no. nice, it's a nice way to do it easier for me. But yeah, you know. Um, if the events start to get bigger and they really start to work out, I will take it on the road. Um, maybe do you know hundred person events in different awesome. cities. The problem is, you know what? It's super super expensive and a lot of work to organize these things. So if you're not making a ton of money from it, you know, I mean, I would estimate Author Marketing Live, the first one we did, I put in. You made like six figures. No, I lost money. I lost money on it because I spent a lot of money to make it really awesome, and I didn't charge enough because I wanted to have, I wanted people to be there, and I want, you know. But well, I know I spent, Jay. He charges. What does he charge? Like ten or twenty thousand just to get yes, a speech. Yes, well, paying Jay's. Yeah, he's like fee. Bill Clinton. That was expensive to pay the speaking fee to Jay. Um, <laughs> but you know, I spent three, four months of my time promoting one event. <laughs> it's a lot of work, man. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, the professional event business is a lot of work, and you got to hire people to run it for you, and they cost money. So if you're not making money, you know. But I, I do want to do that because I would love to meet people all over the country, in the world, and and help people. So I'm I'm working on it. I wasn't able to go, but are you guys? I don't know if you have you released any videos or anything because I really would like to see some of the speeches. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm still working on getting the the videos of the speakers done. Um, I was uh, trying to do them myself, save a little, save a few bucks, and the editing of them has been a little bit more than I can handle. So I might go back to the well and have them do it, uh, and spend some more money that I don't have that I've lost to, to promote it. So, yeah, uh, I'm gonna make those available very soon. Jay, Jay did such a great speech um, that we need to get it out there. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, I mean, man. I kept hearing that his speech was, you know, really good, and I wanted he to crushed see it. it. I absolutely crushed it. I had no idea he, if he was going to be uh, nervous or good. He looked nervous before he went on stage. Uh, I've seen, I've been to hundreds of events like that, you know, in different niches and industries. And uh, he was like a seasoned veteran pro on the stage. His presentation was funny, engaging. He played he some guitar. Acted great <laughs> with the crowd. And uh, in my opinion, I thought it was the best talk of the day. He really crushed it. It was great. Thanks, man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, oh, and it was sweet. it was really top shelf, man. It was really pro. I mean, it was. Oh, there's alcohol you know, there. Richard, 
I know, I know Richard's not in Cleveland, but, you know, it was at the Renaissance, and, and Jim went, you know, he went top-notch on everything. He didn't skimp, and I think everyone there that I talked to said what an incredible experience it was. Yeah, you know, the reason I spent the money to do it right was because I was like, you a full bar? The first time, no bar. Um, <laughs> if you're going to do something the first time, it better be pretty amazing because why would people ever try to come back? Yeah. I've seen other conferences in this industry try to do, like, the same type of thing, but, you know, they're having it at this hotel uh, at the airport, you know, kind of banquet, <laughs> you know, or they have it at Coffee the shop. or the UFW hall, right? You know, so they just, you know... I've, I know enough people who run and own conferences to know that if you don't spend the money and do it right, it'll never really truly work. So that's why I've been to a few of them where they were like at colleges, like in the libraries and stuff like that. It depends on what you're trying to do. You can get away yeah. with doing smaller events at you know coffee shops and restaurant rooms. But then, I mean, how are you going to get the liquor license? You know? Exactly. Yeah. That's that's what's most important. <laughs> Well, Jim, part of my job on the show is timekeeper, and, and Richard, uh, he, he slapped me on the wrist because I, I cut the show too short last episode, but this episode I'm paying close attention. We had attention. Sean and Dave on, and he cuts the episode short. Those I didn't, I didn't cut it short. We ended. <laughs> but anyways, we're, 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 uh, we're a little over an hour now, so um, probably a, a good time to wrap things up. Do you want to... Uh, talk about where people can find you, and of course, we'll put everything in show notes as well. Just head over to authormarketinginstitute.com, and you can kind of see a layout of the land of all the things that we're working on. And um, you know, hopefully, you'll come join us at the next uh, event that we're doing. It's coming up, so um, go check that out. And if you're looking for help, or you know, authors are looking for help in terms of marketing their books, Come check out our free tools and training, man. We've got a lot of stuff out there uh, designed to help people. That's really what it's all about. I, I do have one one last thing. Hold on. Oh no. Um, I Brian Cohen sent in a list of grievances and complaints, and I was just wondering if we could maybe go through these before we sign off. Yes, let's let's go through them one by one <laughs> from, from the show. Yeah, it's from Brian. He sent these oh, in. So, right, you know. You know, it's funny, um, Brian and I had never met till the Cleveland thing, and we're kind of developing this whole uh, Dean and Jerry routine. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of becoming Jerry Lewis, and he's becoming the straight man, and, um, but it's not rehearsed, right? I think it's just the dynamic that we're building, because I'm much more just want to, like, you know, be a jerk and have fun on these podcasts, and he wants it to be very, you know... He's a little, I'm, I'm sorry, Brian. You're you're a little more neurotic than I am. I mean, <laughs> Brian but, but, sounds like Richard. <laughs> oh, is he the neuro, is he the straight man in this? What? Episode? Oh my god. <laughs> so, but you know, you, I mean, I think you, you develop a relationship um, and, a, and a kind of a shtick, yeah. and it's not fake. If it's if if you're trying to do it fake, you got to be a really good actor. And and that's funny what you said about that because I actually believe Brian has that list. He probably Brian probably has a notebook <laughs> right next to his laptop. It's like grievances of the day. You know, Jim Jim spelled this wrong. Jim played the wrong sounder. Jim used <laughs> common uh, miles music. I sent him a note the other day. I said, don't worry. If they sue us, I'll make sure I'll blame you first. 
Nice. <laughs> Jay always gets pissed when I want to have like a 15 minute meeting to talk about the podcast. And he gets like, oh my God, that's just too long. I mean, oh, can't yeah. we just wing it? <laughs> totally got to wing it. You know, there's two different types of people who, when you create content like this, I'm always the guy, I like fresh guy. I don't even read the show notes or the links he sends because he creates all the news. I don't look at him until the show, until he reads them because I want to hit it fresh, right? And this people prepare yeah. for uh, their talent appearances different ways, and that's the way I do it. And Brian's, Brian's a little bit more uh, a structured than I am. Well, it probably but, helps you know, to have both of them too, you know. It, that's what I was just going to say yeah. that. Like there's a different approach, there's a different style, and, and they can really complement each other. And so the, I, I think it's an it's a added bonus for the viewer to kind of get those different flavors. Now, how did you guys hook up to do this? Uh, was it, who reached out to who, and how did it all go down? Because the point I want to make is if people are watching this, it's really just an email, right? It's like, hey, I was thinking about doing, that's what we did, me and Brian did. We're like, hey, I was thinking about doing this show. Uh, you want to try and do it together? That's it. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty much what happened. Richard emailed me and said, uh, Jay, I'm really desperate and I need some help. Is there any <laughs> way you can get me some exposure? And I was like, whatever, dude, pay me a couple hundred grand, we'll do it. No. Yeah, Richard, you know, he reached out and, and, and had is. some really great ideas for the podcast. And he had some, he asked me some tough questions about where I was going with it. And I was pretty honest and said, you know, I jumped into it and I'm not really sure. And he brought some, some great ideas. And that's kind of how it started. That's it, guys. I mean, you're watching this. That's all it takes. You know, I mean, there, sh there should be 50 podcasts in different genres. Okay. There should be. There should be the Romance Authors Podcast. There should, everyone should be doing this because I personally believe that it's, it does a lot for your credibility as an author, um, helps you engage with new fans. So it's that simple. Just get off your butt and give it a shot. Yeah, the worst that can happen is it'll fail. Yeah, you fail, you look like a complete idiot. Your family, friends will laugh at you. And, uh, you know, hey, that's par for the course. My so entire Subscribe in our podcast. Yeah, my entire career. <laughs> based off that, of, of creating dumb projects and things that I've done and asking people and getting tell, told no. My entire career is based off of complete failure, 95% failure and 5% of things that actually worked and I didn't fail. And that's, that's how you get to where you want to be. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, hey, man, yeah, I want to really thank you for coming on and uh, spending here. some time with us. And, uh you know, it's it's always it's always fun to hear your take on it, and you've got such a deep history on the marketing side. So I think it's it's really it's it's really great. And I would just like to stress one more thing that you're not a horror author, just in case anyone was no. confused. I'm, I should write some horror and send it to you. Well, you said you already wrote three or four chapters of horror, right? Yes, I did. I did my hor my horrible. Oh, horror. it wasn't horrible. Yeah, it was, it was horrible. horrible. Well, you wouldn't want to probably wouldn't want to read our uh, first three, four chapters we ever wrote either, because damn, they weren't very good. Yeah, that's yeah. what everyone says, right? And you know, yeah. even the first four chapters of a nonfiction I ever wrote, yeah, I've probably written a million nonfiction words now, but the first four chapters of the nonfiction I wrote was crap. So, yeah. all, all right, right, guys. Thanks. Well, thanks a lot, Jim. Everyone, this has been episode seventeen of the Horror Writers Podcast with. Uh, your host, Jay Thorne, and co-host, Richard Brown, and special guest, Jim Kukrell. So uh, make sure you validate us. We're, we're very needy. We need likes, and we need you to tell us that you love us. So please you gotta say it in the you got to like, say it all in the Horror Writers Podcast voice, though. You, you should do it. Richard. You should you do you it. It's your voice. 
No, it's your voice. What are you talking about? I'm start playing music shortly. Ooh, there you go. Some of that, some of that smooth jazz. Some, some Miles Davis. Thank you for watching the Horror Writers Podcast. There you go. All right. Like Take us on jump. Facebook. Follow <laughs> us on Twitter. Yeah, whose voice is that? <laughs> All right. Take it easy. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Horror Writers Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Do it. Do it now. What are you waiting for? Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. 